Empire of the Suns. Empire of the Suns. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Arizona Sports presents the Empire of the Suns podcast. Empire of the Suns. Hello there, and welcome to the Empire of the Suns podcast. My name is Kevin Olson, not joined as always by Kevin Zerman. Kevin is on dad duty for one more week, so it's one more week of me having guest hosts. We had Sam and Mike from the Timeline podcast last week. They were excellent, and you know what? I DM'd them at the same time I DM'd these two guys. They are now from the the now defunct, I think is the right way to say it, seven seconds or less podcast. You guys know David and Max both from Suns Twitter. If you don't, this will be a great introduction to them and you will get to know them we will start with uh david let's start with the guy who's not in the country david hello how are you dave david are, are we just sticking with one name now david what's the deal here with the last name? yeah i'm, I'm going going with the single name kellen from uh <laughs> da- david from the four point play would be uh the best way i think going forward but uh down here in australia i cannot hide that accent so i uh, can't be too anonymous unfortunately the international flavor. Uh, we've mentioned you so many times on the podcast as our Australian correspondent that I think people should know you by now who listen and aren't on Twitter, but in case they, they haven't or just haven't been paying attention, this is David. He has an excellent newsletter called The Four Point Play or The Four Point Play Newsletter, I think is, is the right way to say it. It's excellent. You should sign up for it and read it. And you should also be following David on Twitter where you can catch some uh, tidbits. Max is with us. He does not have a newsletter. His newsletter is the, the Constitution of the United States of America as a, <laughs> as a day-to-day attorney. Uh, these guys had this podcast. It was amazing for what, guys, like two years or so? Yeah, yeah. a little less than two years, I think, just under two years. It was, it was a really good time. You say defunct. We call it quasi-defunct, I think. We still do it sometimes. We break it out a couple times in the season. We were doing it in the playoffs last year. Hard not to. Um, yeah, but yeah, you met- yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, so if you do subscribe to the newsletter with David, you will see Max pop on there every now and then, and they'll do a reunion every now. And then. Yeah, but Max, you just got so busy with this. Being an attorney takes a lot of work and time. Apparently, I'm learning from you. Yeah, you know they don't lie to you when they say that it's actually a lot to do that. Um, but that's the main reason. You know, I also don't have an Australian accent like David, so I don't know if I'm meant for this thing. Uh, I've had a couple, a couple of friends of mine have said that people have uh, they've just randomly stumbled onto somebody who listened to our podcast and. And they're like, oh, they're, we're friends with Max. And they're always like, is that the Australian guy? And, and they're like, no, it's, oh, it's the other guy. It's the other guy. So I'm the other guy. <laughs> were, weren't you the one who is like, who joined me and like the, the guy who called me Chicken Little? Like, we're the guys who get roasted in the iTunes reviews more than the other <laughs> yes. one? I that, think that's that exactly was us. Right. <laughs> Amazing. Okay. Well, it, both of you are still like active enough. I mean, David is full-fledged active still, but Max is still very active on Twitter. And if you hate Cliff Kingsbury, may I introduce you to your new best friend? Because <laughs> you and Max will just get along swell and can just yell about him into the sun. I DM Max probably, I mean, a dozen times a football season just to curse about it to someone else. So well, I suggest you do because, uh, my wife thinks he's hot. Uh, Kevin, uh, that's why yeah I mean that's <laughs> that is that is the big problem and the big inside joke that we have all right so the main reason I had you guys on and and why I had Mike and Sam on was to kind of get your guys's perspectives as fans of the team with the trade deadline with the position the team is in and just kind of see where your guys's heads are at and this was an excellent time to do it with David because he just had his new uh 
episode column uh, report of the newsletter what, what do you call them david series Issue, issues i call them issue issues, that's Kelly. the word i'm looking for oh my gosh the, the guy who does the words for a living can't get the word out there i apologize <laughs> so the new issue of your newsletter dropped today which was not the typical trade deadline preview you see but that's a good reason because i'm going to do the really generic one where i'm like here are 14 15 names and that'll be dropping sometime next week but david went through more of the technicalities he is the guy that we always turn to on this podcast with CBA stuff and just kind of really knowing the ins and outs of what to expect from that in terms of the technicalities to look out for with the Suns, which we will get to in a bit. But we will start, as always, as we do on the podcast with some news at the top. What happened today, this afternoon, is that the All-Star starters were announced. I predicted on this podcast last week that I thought Andrew Wiggins was going to be a starter because he had too much of the fan vote. That is indeed what happened, but it was extremely surprising to me to see that he was on four media uh, ballots. And that essentially is what pushed him over the edge, because if he wouldn't have had any media votes, he would have been like eighth or ninth or whatever. But for some reason, someone put him down instead of Rudy Gobert, instead of Draymond Green, instead of Carl Anthony Towns, which makes no sense to me, but there was enough hype and narrative around it, whatever, or just discussion for him to land on four media votes that I believe put him in fifth in the media voting or sixth. And that was just enough of the averages weighing out that we talked about last week for him to get in. No surprise not to see Devin Booker or Chris Paul on there with the years that Steph Curry and John Morant have had. Uh, I don't have a hot take about this, uh, David or, or Max. I will say that if I would have had a ballot, I would have put Devin Booker ahead of Steph just because Steph's shooting 39% in the last two months, which is brutal. The Warriors are still winning, but he's still really not playing that well. Max, did you have a, a hot take about this at all? No, not really. I'm, I'm kind of with you. I mean, first of all, no one really tracks, uh, you know, historically who, who was the starter in the All-Star game. It's just kind of the quantity of All-Star appearances you end up with. And I don't think anybody thinks that Booker or Paul is going to miss it. Pretty sure they're, they're locks from the coaches. So I'm not that worried about it. I mean, it was, it was stupid, obviously. I mean, <laughs> Andrew Wiggins is an All-Star starter. Makes no sense whatsoever. Um, but, you know, as, as long as Booker and Paul make the team as they as they deserve to do, I, I don't think, you know, with all the injuries or not all the injuries, but the injury that Aiton's had and all the other absences, COVID, all that stuff. I think he just kind of became not a, not a real candidate anymore. So the, the Wiggins thing doesn't displace him. So I don't think it really affects us um, with you. I mean, yeah, I, I think Booker could have been on the all-star team. I wouldn't, I mean, or sorry, as a starter, I, I, I have no issue with Steph. I mean, Steph's been bad lately, but he started the season really well on balance. I think I'd probably have him slightly above Booker, but again, it's, it's, I don't think it's a huge, you know, a huge gap. Yeah, I think that's the right way to frame it. We'll remember if he didn't make it initially, which I think is the excitement for this year, is that this will mm-hmm. be the first time in three goes that he makes it uh, without needing to be a replacement player, which again, when we're talking about this 15 years ago, only the weirdos like us are going to remember that he got in on the replacement. Like, that doesn't really matter. There is no, like, asterisk next to the star on his uh, basketball reference page. There's nothing like that going or anything. David, are you, are you in line with both of us as well, where you just didn't really feel too warmly about it either way? I think if Book maybe would have had a, a better start to the season in terms of getting his numbers up, I think that's maybe where we could have seen going. And Chris, too, to, to be honest, because remember, Chris's scoring was way down at the start of the year. I just don't think the numbers were there for the guys. Do you agree? Yeah, I mean, Wiggins is clearly the outlier, and he's not the one keeping out one of the Suns from the starting lineup at the moment. And I'm kind of okay with Jar and Steph, to be honest, even though it's definitely an argument for for one or both of the Suns to supplant them from those starting spots. It is a little bit of a shame, you know, if we fast forward, assuming the Suns are still top of the NBA and have that 
you know, three, three and a half game lead uh, over everyone else. It's a bit of a shame that they're not going to be repped at the opening tip, but I will add, it certainly looks like Monty Williams and his staff will be in charge of one of the teams, I believe, uh, if I'm still tracking the way that that works with the uh, best team in the NBA at the all-star break being repped uh, by the coaches there. So that'll be a pretty cool little uh, part of it that the Suns can be involved in. Yeah, it'll be really cool. Burns and Gambo was talking about it on our air today, and Burns, he mentioned, like, what if Chris Paul is playing against Monty Williams' team, if that's how it works out, and Chris is on the other team? I think I think that could be really fun. I kinda <laughs> that wanted, would be I, hilarious. I, I need to see that happen now. Whoever has Monty Williams can't take Chris Paul now. I think that should be a rule. LeBron's going to take Chris again, though, so it'll be it'll be interesting to see where, where Monty kind of lies. Uh, yeah. Anything else really on this, Max, anything stand out to you about the starters? I mean, we can sit here and say the only thing for me that really stands out is that I think if it, it's so narrative driven, just because it's Steph, a lot of people still talk about Steph, like he's having a great year. He's not having, he's having one of the worst seasons of his career right now, which is crazy, but it, people are talking about like he's having a great year because he was an MVP candidate or the MVP front runner six weeks into the season and the Warriors have been so good during this stretch that it hasn't really mattered. But I think if maybe Booker would have gotten more, more attention for his defensive improvement uh, last year and this year as well, and specifically with, with Chris and just the winning streaks uh, multiplied by two and just their top of the standings, I think if there would have been a little bit more narrative juice, maybe they would have had a shot. But the thing that out st- stood out to me about this, Max, is that John Morant's like a superstar. He's one of the like, five, six biggest stars in the league right now, and that's really impressive. Yeah, no, absolutely. He's pretty undeniable. And, and Suns fans have seen that, you know, right up, <laughs> up close and personal. One of our one of our few losses recently and recently in the last month or so was when John Morant beat us at, at the buzzer. Um, not at the buzzer. It was like almost the buzzer, I think is what it was. Right. And uh, yeah, I, I know he, I know he uh, traveled or whatever, but like if you could Zapruder film somebody at the three point line, like barely shuffling their feet, like I don't care about that. That's not a real travel. Come on, Suns fans. Chill out. That was a great that was a great play by him. Um, he's awesome. You know, long term, not not to go too much of a tangent here. Long term, you worry a little bit about John Morant just because guards like him, uh, you know, tend to peak earlier just because they're so athletic and so explosive, and especially Jaw, who plays so recklessly, that you worry about him long term. But I mean, right now, enjoy him because he he is spectacular. He is uh, for sure, and I I thought you were going to go another route in terms of like Jaw's just going to be starting All Star games for the next decade. So there's only <laughs> going to be one spot for the Suns to potentially get in the starting lineup, and I. I guess I am a little bit surprised that I believed just with the way that book appeals to a lot of younger fans and just how, how cool the guy is in general, that I thought that he was going to be next up in terms of like that next guy to be, I don't want to say the next Dame, but like the next guy to be looked at like a superstar in the league. I thought that he was heading there and it does it seems like jaw left ahead of him on whatever kind of, narrative leaderboard or whatever big national attention impressions whatever you're looking at really which has been a bit of a surprise to me and I'm not saying that one guy deserves it more than the other I've just been a bit surprised by it It, it's a bit you know jarring oh god no pun intended um to (laughs) look at those totals I think he was what like two and a half million votes or something in front of book uh, in those guard spots yeah. and you know if he played for I don't know Golden State or, or LA or New York or something it would be un- understandable but you know I, I'm not that great on my American populations but I can't imagine that Memphis Tennessee is uh, a bigger city than Phoenix Arizona so uh, it is it, it's a bit weird to see him kind of anointed like that from the general 
NBA public uh, compared to someone like Devin Booker. I, I don't know. I guess we've seen it for the last four years. For for whatever reason, Devin is uh, you know a villain to non Suns fans for some reason. When you kind of look at his resume, where he's come from. Uh, you know, who he is as a person, who he's dating, you know, you would just think that he's got superstar written all over him, but uh, he's he's kind of an outcast uh, to people that aren't uh, like us, it seems. You know, I think part of what happened there with him is he almost kind of missed his window because the team was so bad when he was young. A lot of these yeah. guys, they, yeah. they hit their breakout when they're in their third year, right? The second or third year. And yeah. he just didn't have that opportunity, really, Booker. So, you know, he, he instead of having that opportunity, he just got labeled this bad team, good stats guy, um, because that's, you know, that's all people knew about him. They didn't watch Suns games. We were winning 19 games a season. So I think had he had these kind of breakout earlier, he may have had this little wave. And also, you know, on, on the other side of this too, I mean, John Morant probably in a couple of years will have his, you know, detractors come out. It's always that wave. It always goes the, uh, up and down. So uh, hopefully this happened to John and hopefully Booker will get his due someday. But it kind of feels like that's just kind of the arc of these things. Yeah, to make the same Ferrari metaphor that I did last year, it's like there's somewhere in here where we were supposed to talk about how bad Jaws on defense. It just didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. there's there's no like really big uh, caping group for like his defense. And like I haven't watched enough of him this year to say his defense compared to last year. I know that it's still been a bit of a struggle for him on that end. But I, I think with that in mind, I, I just want to say like Jaws, like what what a great guy to get that spot. It's not like someone specifically that you're looking at and saying like someone else deserves it or anything like that. Like he is an awesome dude who plays super hard and plays a brand of basketball with the way that he passes and sees it. David, was that you who kind of made like the Nashian comparisons or is that Garland? I'm thinking of Garland, right? But, but yeah, Jaws, that's, that's, Jaws that's in the same branch to me where you can see the Nash influence, which is the way that he moves the ball and sees the court. Yeah, I, I totally missed on Jar. I think right when we first started podcasting with seven seconds or less was was that draft. And uh, I think Max, not to put words in your mouth, but we were both a little bit skeptical about how he was going to transfer over. Uh, the defense, I think we were semi-correct about and still, I guess, is watch this space. But uh, offensively, he is just so much more dynamic than I thought he would be. I just thought size-wise and stuff, he was really going to struggle early on. It just hasn't been the case. Yeah, I was nervous because his turnovers were like ridiculous in college. He turned the ball right. like, constantly, yeah. and uh, also he was just way the hell more athletic than everybody else in his uh, you know whack out conference, whatever whatever conference he was in. Um, but it turns out he's just way more athletic than every other human being. So <laughs> <laughs> it turned out to be okay for him. His team was terrible. I remember yeah, watching that Florida State game and being like, is this is this like even worth like debating? Because there's like seven guys on Florida State who are better than Jaws' second best player on his team. Do you remember the, his fat center? <laughs> yeah, he was he was fun. Like it, it's it, it's he nice when draft prospects at least have someone who's enjoyable to watch on their team besides yep. them. Yeah, he, he wasn't an NBA prospect, but he was fun. Speaking of fun for Suns fans, beating the Jazz. How excited are you two? Oh, boy. Twice in a row. Yeah, back to back wins over Utah. The team has now won eight in a row. I think to hit on the news again, more injuries have started to pile up. We talked about or we did not talk about last episode, the wrist injuries and, and the horror uh, amongst us. At least I, I believe we didn't if I have my timeline right. Either way, uh, it, it looked it looked scary. Uh, for Jay Crowder and campaign at, at a certain point, uh, Jay specifically, but everything turned out well there. And in terms of just avoiding something long-term from at least what, what we know, right. Which is that Jay is day to day campaign is going to be reevaluated in two weeks. And we'll see from there, we have a history with these things. I mean, 
anytime I see the word contusion now, I think that's exactly what they called Chris Paul's shoulder in the playoffs. So I, there are certain words that I look out for in terms of like something else might be going on there. I don't know, but either way, the good news is that we didn't get something like this guy's going to be reevaluated in two months or just an indefinite timeline. There's nothing there, which is good. But with that in mind, JaVale McGee also is dealing with some left knee soreness. He is going to miss tomorrow night's game, which is in minute, or which is at Phoenix um, against Minnesota. And he missed the last game, which left the Suns with only nine available players. Uh, they were still able to beat the Jazz with that in mind. And you can see the limitations starting to pop. We can only talk about depth to a certain point before where the limitations of being down to nine or ten guys really show. Uh, D- David, what did you take away the most from these? I, I don't think the Pacers game we should really talk about. What did you take away the most from these these Utah games? Because I wrote a big preview or a thousand words on Utah to be like, look at this really great offense and who they could match up with in the playoffs. But then Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert were both out. They essentially forfeited <laughs> the game on Monday. I don't know what else to call it because they had four other guys sit out. Royce O'Neal, Boyan Bogdanovich, Joe Ingles, and who is the other one that I'm forgetting? Mike Conley. Mike Conley was the other one. And so with those four guys out, they did not even pop up on the injury report Wednesday. So it looks like they were dealing with little nicks and they wanted to get some rest during the season. They picked it there. So it was tough to evaluate it in terms of how the matchup was. But what did you think of the Suns play, David? Yeah, the the first game was tough. Uh, I think you could pretty much throw that one out, as you noted, against the competition that they were up against, you know, other than maybe the last five minutes of the game where they showed their kind of hallmark clutch time, uh, allowing the Jazz back in and then finishing them off. There isn't too much that stood out from that game. Game two, I still find it difficult, to be honest, because as you're saying, you, you're getting anticipated for it. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, the two best players, Rudy Gobert and, and Donovan Mitchell, aren't playing in the game. But there was at least more NBA competition on the floor. Um, you know, nothing groundbreaking here, but it it, it was kind of just a nice back, you know, back-to-back games against Utah that showed uh, what this Suns team is and what they've been for the last couple of years. You know, all the uh, own setbacks that we're going through at the moment with injuries and things, and they still front up, they still play the same way, you know, new guys step up. You've got, you know, Biombo in that first game had uh, 16, 13 and uh, four offensive rebounds off the bench, played 31 minutes. And then in the second game, the bench didn't do a hell of a lot, but, you know, it was the the Paul and Booker show. So I think guys are coming in, you know, Ish Wainwright even came in, Alfred Payton minutes recently have actually been semi-encouraging. I think you noted in one of your recent articles how uh, they've been essentially playing him like a wing because they're a little bit thin on the wing, which I'm sure we'll touch on a little bit later. And then all of a sudden, uh, you know, Payne goes down. So Payton has to come more in as a, a backup point guard. But, you know, he's kind of earning his minutes with the defense that he's playing. There was that uh, one play I think at the end of the first half last night where he stole the inbound with five seconds left made sure he found Devin Booker and and Booker finished it off uh, to end the half with 31 points or something like that I think it was so you know it's just guys showing up uh, and you know I think one thing that gets overlooked not by Suns fans and and certainly not by people covering the team but by the the wider NBA, NBA community is you know we don't complain about the injuries or the setbacks that we've had 
uh, and people just kind of look at us at, you know, three and a half games clear of everyone else and think that we haven't been through some stuff. But, you know, between COVID, health and safety, safety protocols and, and injuries, you know, the Suns have been through quite a bit. You know, I think you probably got the stat, Callan, in terms of how many games, you know, their three best players arguably have actually played together this season. So, um, yeah, they just keep fronting up and it, it just makes it all the more impressive uh, that they sit here with the the record that they do at the moment. Yeah, I think I think it's 23 games Mike had that number down as. Yep. Max, the, the question I want to ask you is, I don't think I need to ask you if the Suns are winning in the right way and in, in the right way or if it's right or, or whatever the way that they're winning right now because they are much more reliant on Devin Booker and Chris Paul than they have proven to been since the start of last season, in my opinion. And they are winning all of these games. Now they're winning all of them. Books having these huge scoring explosions over the past two weeks. Chris Paul is taking over fourth quarters even more than he normally does. Like nearly every possession is going through him. And, and I guess the question I have for you is how much does that matter, if at all? Because the way that I wrote about it last night is that it's just another way that this team can win. And that's how I see it as right now. Now this can't continue for the rest of the season for workload reasons and for other guys getting the ball and getting a flow reason. But in the meantime, it's, it's fine. Uh, Do do you worry about it at all? Am I making a a deal out of something we shouldn't even mention? What have been your thoughts on just the way they've relied on their two all-stars right now in, in this month? It's a fantastic question, Kellen. And I think, I mean, I don't think there's one answer that's good or bad. I think it's, it's nuanced. There's, there's shades of this. I think one reason why it's good is that I think, you know, and uh, as David liked to say, the pointy end of the playoffs, you know, the pointy end of the season when you're down to the conference finals, finals, it's going to be Devin Booker and Chris Paul who are going to win you the games there. Um, so I, you know, I think that them, you know, it's weird to say practicing because they're already incredible basketball players. But just kind of getting the reps of those of them working together as the guys who are kind of running the whole show is really important, I think. So I, I, I like that aspect. I, I do think the injury thing is always there. I, I, I get so nervous when Monty leaves Chris Paul into the game with like two minutes left in the game. We're running by like 15 points. It's like, man, we really shouldn't be doing that. I know Chris Paul doesn't want to come off the court, but you got to protect him from himself. I, I do think the way Chris Paul plays, particularly in the regular season, is knock on every piece of wood ever. Uh, low injury risk. He just doesn't exert himself in the way that you typically would get injured. I think that's why we see him get injured immediately in the playoffs right away a bunch of times because all of a sudden he's playing at a different level of intensity that, that risk injury. So, I, I, you know, it's kind of a long-winded way to say that I, I, I think there's good and bad about it, but overall, like, I don't mind it for a small stretch. I think it's probably positive. And, and to your point there, Max, I think as well, the other players learning the repetitions as well. Like, yeah. as you said, yeah. we, Book and Paul probably don't need the repetitions. They've done it, you know, their whole careers, but it's the other guys working out the spots that they're supposed to be and where they can make an impact. You know, the Biombos of the world, where to duck in, where to get offensive rebounds, where they need them to set the screen. So that repetition is definitely important. And I agree with you on the, you know, staying out of injury Uh, you know injuries way and I think it's also rubbed off on book you know I've kind of theorized that his you know reduction in free throws and and you know Mm. finishing around the rim compared to his early years you know there was even a play last night one of his buckets that I highlighted where he clearly in the past would have turned the corner um, on Pascal and taken it all the way to the rim and instead he kind of laid a little floater off off the uh, off the glass. And I think he's learned that from Paul as well, probably learning every day how to take care of your body 
both in games and, and out of games. There was a funny moment a couple of games ago where uh, Chris Paul accidentally stood on JaVale McGee's uh, foot on a rebound that he jumped for and JaVale just got too close to him and he absolutely tore shreds off JaVale <laughs> for getting near him. Lo and behold, very next game, they're both going for a rebound. JaVale made fun of it in a way and jumped out of bounds away from Chris Paul almost to say like, I'm not coming anywhere near you. I've learned my lesson. So yeah, I think that's a good point from you in terms of the injuries. The minutes are a little bit high though, Callan, but hopefully maybe around the trade deadline when they bring some bodies in, fingers crossed, they might be able to uh, taper them off uh, for the rest of the season. A little bit concerned, David. I'm a little bit concerned on this minutes uh, deal. Uh, Barry Bloom, who's like a long, long time uh, columnist, writer in this local area, who's mostly covered uh, baseball over his time, but spends time with basketball, asked Monty about that after Monday's game. He's like, yeah, Chris at 40 minutes. You don't want to do that, huh? Monty was like, no, I don't, but I I don't want to really get there. And then Monty looked at the minutes for last game and I was like, yeah, I kind of, I, I got the guys down a little bit and then he read them off and it was, it was still Mikel at 44, <laughs> Chris at 36, 37. Uh, and then just in front of me right now for this two game home and home series, Mikel averaged 40 minutes. Devin was at 38.9, Chris 38.6, and then Cam Johnson at 37.4. Obviously not sustainable over the course of an entire season for a two game stretch. Sure. Um, Max, uh, the floor is yours for Alfred Payton. Go ahead, because I think that's the main reason we're talking about Chris playing so many minutes. That's the main reason we're talking about having the whole podcast, right? Just talking about Alfred Payton. Um, (laughs) Real quick, I do want to say um, one thing that's really nice is that, you know, we are putting a nice little lead on Golden State right now and the rest of the conference. Uh, Hopefully that will continue and then it'll be a little easier because, you know, if we have a, say, six-game lead a month ago, we can take our time uh, getting into the playoffs. So hopefully that's where we're at with the minutes thing then. Um, yeah, Albert Payton, I agree with some of you guys said earlier. The defense has been better. I, it, he, he's made himself slightly more playable because on defense, he's been actually, you know, legitimately good. Still, though, on offense, I think the biggest problem with his offense is not even who he is as a player, although that's not very good. Um, the biggest problem <laughs> is the fit. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't, he doesn't fit at all. The, the, the whole point, you know, it's, you know, Monty's, he's gotten away from it a little bit this year, but Monty's whole, what is it, half a second offense, 0.5 seconds, whatever he says. Um, Albert Payton's not doing that. He doesn't move the ball. He looks for his own offense a lot. I, I do appreciate EJ on the broadcast talking about how good he is at doing that. I, I Runs a heck of a two-man action. <laughs> Give him a ball screen and he'll make it happen. Right? Yeah, uh, I, I, I disagree. He also obviously doesn't shoot at all, so there's no spacing element to him whatsoever. So I think offensively, yeah. I'm still I, I hate him out there, but at least defensively, he's adding. So it's not as not as terrible. Yeah. So the inside joke here, if you haven't realized it, is that Max has been boisterously, boisterously against just Alfred playing kind of in general for most of, for most of the season. And I think listeners will remember that when Alfred signed, me and Kevin were just like, this one doesn't, it's always weird when there's the Damian Jones signing, right? We're like, this one just doesn't add up. I just don't see exactly where it was and what makes sense. And what we eventually got to in our point was, he started over 500 games. And if, and if you hit these little trials and tribulations in the middle of the regular season, like this one right now, you're at least putting a guy in there with experience. But Max, I think to your point, I don't know how much that experience matters if you're playing this guy. And in my opinion, having him on the court, I don't want to put all of it on him, but having him on the court is kind of contributing to like the low three-point attempt numbers and the low assist numbers we've been seeing because he's not the guy that helps with that kind of thing. He doesn't help 
with the ball moving and setting guys up. And, and, and even though he is an assist guy, he is if he needs to make like a one pass to the weak side corner. And but that but that's pretty much it. Yeah, he kind of Alfred Paytonizes the game, and that is not a verb that you want happening <laughs> to your game. <laughs> he just turns it into the he's dribbling a lot and he's maybe taking it in sometimes, but he's not. He, he doesn't create for others like at all, and, and the offense junks up with him. I mean, I, I don't want to rant too much with the guy because he seems like a nice guy who works hard. But it's I I I would I wish we could find a guard maybe of a, his same skill level who just fits the offense a little better. Right, uh, and and so now we will get into Landry Shaman and just kind of transition that here into the <laughs> trade deadline as a whole. I, I need to bring up Shaman because I I think it's going a bit under discussed right now, and I think Suns fans will think I'm crazy for saying that because they're holding spaces now to roast this poor man uh, now and kind of turning into Lakers fans with the spaces to voice their grievances on something. I love I love that by the way. I'm totally kidding in terms of um, that being a negative. With that being said. Landry in his last five games has scored zero points, zero, one, three, and eight. That is a total of 12 points. He has played 61 minutes in those five games. And guys, I don't know what's more concerning for me. The 12 points are the 61 minutes because he is a guy that needs to be playing more than 60 minutes in five games, especially when you are missing campaign for two, two and a half of those games, you're missing campaign. And it did not result in him getting more minutes. He was the last guy to come in on Wednesday when they had nine guys available. Now he's not going to take Bismack's spot and he's come at certain times. I can take Alfred's spot because he's coming in for a certain spot for Chris to run the offense, but ish going ahead of him. I know that might've been a matchup thing, but the two way guys getting on the court before him. And, and I, I think that the timing could not be however you want to view this better or worse in terms of his current play how it looks like he is clearly not fitting in with the offense because I think the defense is there in terms of the move. Now I will pivot this to David because David had a couple of tweets the other day where you were kind of going through explaining how you see the Shamit situation. I'm curious David, with everything I've said. And if you, if you want to add more to that, do you feel like that this is we are now at the point now where they absolutely need to either trade Shamit or more likely trade for someone else to take Shamit's role, essentially? Do you think we're there now? I think we're almost there. And I agree with you that it's it's all kind of happening at you know good timing a couple of weeks out from the trade deadline. I guess even these injuries, not to say that you know any injury is good, but for them to happen at this point, uh, I just feel like if James Jones and, and the rest of the front office were kind of teetering on these discussions, maybe the last couple of weeks before the trade deadline could kind of help nudge them in the right direction that I feel like they need to go. But yeah, Landry's, he's an interesting one. I kind of, it's interesting to bring him up with Peyton and then probably another contentious issue amongst Suns fans. uh, And for me is, is Jalen Smith at the four. It kind of feels like the last month and and particularly with uh, when there's been injuries and guys have got to plug in, it's like they look. They know who they are. The Suns know who they are. They know what their offense is. They know what their defense is. They're very good at both. After what happened in the finals last year, they're now looking for, for different looks, for things that they can add to who they are. Now, the difference between, say, Landry and those other two, say, Peyton and, and Jalen at the four, I just think you're wasting your time with those other two and what they've trialed because as you guys noted quite, you know, quite well, Peyton's never going to get to a point where what he does so different 
to what the Suns normally do is at such a high level that it's good having him come in off the bench and completely change the offense for a different look. He's just not going to get there. And similarly with Jalen Smith, maybe one day Jalen Smith, but not in his third year uh, when they've just declined his his th- or second year, when they've just declined his third year option and probably isn't going to be around next year. So I kind of see those trials as a waste, whereas the Landry trial, and that's what I was trying to get at the other day on Twitter, I actually think is worthwhile. And now right. at some at some point, and it might be around the trade deadline, you have to give it up and say, look, it didn't work. But I think they have to give it a go because he's a he's a movement shooter. He can, you know, in theory you know, take the ball off the bounce. He's had a couple of nice passes to Biombo in the last couple of games. You know, if you try and focus on the positives here, the shot clearly isn't falling, but, you know, I think a guy like Landry, you could plug him into say Cam Johnson's role, Mikel Bridges role, just say, stand in the corner. You're going to get your five open looks a game. You're probably going to hit 40% of them and you could look pretty good in the rotation, but we actually want you bringing something new. We want you running off screens. We want you running off handoffs. He's basically the only guy that can come off a handoff other than Devin Booker. And even Booker after a hot start hasn't been great at them recently either that, that has shown in his career that he can do that. So they're looking for a different element to the offense in case they're going to need it when they need to kind of, you know, hit that emergency break glass when they're up against an opponent who's taking away Booker, taking away Chris Paul, you know, right now, if you put a gun to my head, I would say it it probably isn't working and they're going to have to abandon it at some point. But this is what the regular season's for when you've got the ambitions that the Suns have. Like, they don't have to win the conference by seven games. Like, I want them to be tinkering. One thing that Max and I, towards the end of our podcast, really liked about Monty Williams is he tinkered, he tried to find plan Bs. And then to our eyes, at least the thing we loved about him the most is when he'd given them a go and you could see that they weren't working, he'd pull away from them and he'd move on to something else. And he yeah. wasn't the type of coach that kind of got stuck on stuff. So yeah, it, it isn't going well. There's no way I'm not going to stand here and go Landry Shamit's played up to his extension is, is doing beautifully, but it's the kind of you know trial that they need to go through. Yeah, my favorite example of the money decisiveness that I always bring up on this podcast is when injuries hit them earlier in the year, he put Sheck Diallo in there for two minutes and then we didn't see Sheck Diallo again for about two months. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and that's, just, that's, yeah. that's why I try not to freak out. You know, probably Jalen yeah. is the one that I do freak out the most about when they, he comes in at the four. But it, I, even then I tried to go, look, it's better now. It's better now that they're doing it and they know that it doesn't work before Monty tries to do it in, you know, like an Abdul Nader in the playoffs last year type scenario where he's like, oh, we need this guy. We're just going to chuck him in. Like, I'd rather he find out now because he definitely is a uh, I've got to see it coach. Whereas I guess some of us uh, are more opinionated sitting on our couches at home and go, this isn't going to work. Why are you even trying? But uh, I think he likes to see things. Is that kind of... Uh, what you're you're thinking with Landry Max? I know you're you're a fan. Yeah, let me let me take over here really quick, David. That was that was really well said and kind of set the table here for Max, uh, the Shamit stand of all Shamit stands. Uh, so I think that was really well said, and you brought up a couple of really good points. I want to bring up with Max now, which is um, when I wrote the piece a couple of weeks ago on Shamit and Payne both struggling. It's really fascinating because since that point, Payne has played much better. Shamit has played much worse. Like Shamit was. Yeah. 
I think a little bit okay. Like he was, he was fine to be out there, but now it's like, it's like, man, like he's got a, there were a couple of moments where I'm sure you both realized this in one of the Dallas games specifically uh, the Dallas game recently, I should say, where he had a couple of opportunities to be aggressive with the ball where he should have been aggressive and he didn't. And that is the not trying on defense on this team equivalent of sticking out like a sore thumb. When you are not assertive with the ball in your hands, when you have the space to be assertive with the ball in your hands, you need to be. And he wasn't. And that to me, was my first legitimate red flag of like, oh man, is he going to be here in a couple of weeks or, or is he going to be in the rotation in the playoffs? So with that in mind, um, a little bit of backstory here. I don't know if any of my editors or my boss knows this about ArizonaSports.com, but I'm going to say it anyway, and they might not like me saying it because it was kind of a practical joke. When we previewed this draft class, I wrote a section on Landry Shamit because I was a fan of his game but Max was such a humongous fan of his game that I started each graph with Max's name. So I spelled out M-A-X in, in the story and then DM'd Max and was like, check the story. And then he was like, what? And then I was like, read it. Like, just read it straight down. And you could see M-A-X spelled out there. It was so amazing. That was funny. I, I do not regret it one bit. But to bring up that point, Max, you're the best person to talk about with the, this with because – when I was writing about at the beginning of the season, how Monty was with him in Philly and he knows that like Landry is more than a catch and shoot guy. He was a point guard in college. You were the guy when they acquired him was like, this is perfect. Not only do, does my does my team have one of my favorite players in the league, quite honestly, one of my favorite prospects in the last couple of years on the team, but this is the perfect team to utilize the skill set that I saw in him in college that not a lot of people saw that has not come to fruition. We don't need to talk about that, Max, but in terms of, the point that I made at the end of that column was how much doubt do you have in campaign and Landry Shaman? Is there enough to move at the deadline for you, Max, someone who believes in Shamit's game a lot more than the average Suns fan. Are you there with Shamit where you think it's time to look for other options right now? Or do you still believe that they can figure this out in the next couple of months? Because I wrote at the time that I thought they could for both guys, but after the way the last two weeks have gone with Shamit, I'm starting to reconsider that. First of all, I, I just have to say, how amazing is life, right? Like, back then, it was a 19-win team, the Suns. I just <laughs> maybe wanted to get Shamit. And now, now they're leading the league and wins by three and a half games during the finals last year. And the only bad thing is Landry Shamit. <laughs> amazing. It's pretty amazing. Um, I mean, first of all, I think you guys just did an excellent job describing the situation, generally. Um, I, my take is very much – it's very close to David's, I would say. Um, the theory of Landry Shamit on this team makes sense. I think at times he's shown that it's made sense, you know, in the few good games he's had mostly earlier in the season, it made a lot of sense why they went and got him right. He fit the offense perfectly. He was made quick decisions. He was made, it made shot. He could shoot which James Jones loves defensively. He's fit. That's definitely been the best thing about him in the Suns uniform is his defense. He's definitely, it's the only area where he's exceeded expectations. I think it's fair to say. Um, I think what happened to him, as far as I can tell, is he just totally lost his confidence. He, he looks like a player who just is co- totally unsure of himself. Every time he shoots, he's thinking about it. He's not, he's not lost in the game at all. I think he's overthinking everything when he's out there. I think it's pretty – You can if you just watch him closely, which obviously I do, I see that from him, and it really pains me to watch. It, it, it's tough because I did still I, think – Sorry, go ahead. Did I, did I send you the tweet when Monty said a couple weeks into the season that the coaches are, like, shouting from the bench for him to shoot and be aggressive and things yeah. like that? Yeah. That was the first, like, for me where I was like, oh, okay. Not not a concern, but a 
this is a sign of why this guy is on his fourth team in four years kind of deal, which I think, I think that's a bit overblown. Like he's just been a part of some good trades and such, but with that being said, Max, that w- that was a little bit alarming and that lack of confidence, you can see it. Yeah. I think it's the biggest thing. I mean, the skill sets there, I really think it is. It, it, he's they quite what the Suns went out and got him for. He has shown that he can do it, but he just has not been even close to consistent at it. He, in fact, quite the opposite. He's been awful. He can't make a shot. And, you know, when you're playing that poorly, it doesn't matter how well you fit theoretically. You're just unplayable. So I think here, you know what we got? We got two weeks to the deadline. I think yep. unless unless this guy absolutely just goes on a crazy hot streak and, you know, score and average 15, 15 points a game uh, from between now and the deadline, I think the Suns – listen, you don't have very many opportunities at this. Like Devin Booker and Chris Paul are in their primes. Uh, the way they're playing is their prime. I know they're not aged in their primes. They're playing prime players. We are three and a half games ahead of Golden State. This is the time. And you can't waste it. And we're going to get into a bunch of guys that we, we all like for, for trades. And I think that, you know, seeing some of those guys, how they play this season and how Landry's played this season, how good the Suns are, I think you're, you're crazy if you don't try to upgrade. So here's, here's my deal and where we will start talking about the trade deadline and what the team needs to do. When I blabbered on about this team compared to the rest of the Western Conference before the season started, one of my main cases was one through nine who has a better team. And I just couldn't see it. I could not find a one through nine that was better than this team. Factoring in how good the top is, how good the bottom is, how good the middle of it is, who has the best top three and so on. I just went through all these teams. I cut out every single case. That has not come to fruition, obviously, because of the play of a couple of guys. But the way that I'll ask this question, and I don't think we need to spend a couple of minutes on it here, if you guys could just kind of give me a short, succinct answer. But I'll ask both you and I'll ask David this first. David, was Javon better last year or is Landry better this year? We're not good at the uh, the short, succinct answers. Yeah, another, yeah, another hallmark of our uh, old podcast uh, there, Max, I think. But to mm. give you a short answer, I think Landry's been better, but I think most fans would maybe argue Javon because of the way fans look at players that show energy on the floor and character, and I think it blinds people's view of people sometimes. That would be my honest answer. Max? The role that Javon was being asked to play, he played better, but the role that Jimmy is being asked to play, which is a much harder role, he's been worse at. But overall, you'd rather have Landry. That That is the right way to put it. I, I think the fact that we can have a conversation about it, though, is a problem, especially when you look yes. at the way things are going for Javon in Brooklyn right now, which has been brutal. If you search his name on Twitter, Brooklyn Nets fans just compare him to whatever player they make fun of that's going to play in China next. And we watch Javon Mm. play really good basketball a lot on a really good team and know he's better than that. But it's just a really an example of how things have gone wrong. So with that whole argument in mind and and looking at a top nine, I I think the the two spots off the bench, Cam Johnson's been fantastic. I think the starters, everyone has been at least good, let alone great. I think JaVale McGee has been great campaign I I think it helps with how he was playing but you could still talk me into looking at another point guard and then Shamit's spot I think is the most interesting one because I think the way that he's not viewed as much of now is that he was supposed to be able to guy that could play with either guard and that was the humongous appeal of him was just that this guy can be on the court with either guy nothing's really going to change it's just another element of the offense having the shooter having a little bit of a dribble guy and having a guy who's going to hold his own defensively and we just haven't seen that type of appeal to where yeah if Landry hits three threes in the first half play him 30 minutes we haven't even come close 
to seeing those types of games from him yet. And that's where I kind of remain the most concerned, more so looking at the potential for something else elsewhere. So again, to, to kind of keep it short before we go into the other parts, but not, 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 not let, let's end that to keep it short. I'm sorry. You got, you guys can go on. Like you said, you guys are used to the longer podcast. I just had an hour with the other guys. I'm thrilled to be here with you gentlemen. You guys go on as much as you want. So what I will start with, and you guys saw this on the little outline I sent you, do the Suns absolutely need to make a move at the trade deadline? Yes or no? Max, you go ahead first. Yes, they need to do something. They, I mean, it may, it, the reason is not so much that their roster's flawed. Their roster's not flawed. Their roster's great. The, the reason is because they have a chance to win the title, a very, very, very good chance to win the title. And if you're not trying to upgrade right now, what are you playing for? Right? Why would you not trade away a pick that you think is going to be, you know, 30? You hope to be 30. I, I, I honestly don't understand the counter argument to doing at least something you think will help. Completely agree. David, are you in the same boat? Totally the same boat. I think this rotation, this group of players can get through rounds one and two. I've got my eyes on a full strength Golden State Warriors or a full strength Milwaukee Bucks rematch in the finals. And I think for those matchups, you 100% owe it to your team and your fans to make some moves around the margins to uh, give Monty a few more bows to pull. We'll talk about the other, um, the other, uh, targets in a second and that's where or in a minute here and that's where I'm going to get to more of the matchups but having Sam and Mike on and having you guys on I've realized that me at least in my position covering the team as opposed to being a fan of the team I have not been really looking at Milwaukee and Golden State like thinking about them in the future that much and clearly I'm wrong in that because if you guys are thinking about it like I said with Sam and Mike last week the those guys are absolutely thinking about like how do we match up with Milwaukee what do we have here instead of here and that goes into the trade deadline as well. Uh, so there are parts in this podcast, Max, where I quite honestly say and like read what David says, but I have David here so he can just say the things. Isn't that tremendous? <laughs> it's so Isn't nice to have him content? around. It really is. I had experienced that for a long time. It was great. Oh, oh my gosh. I just kind of have to try and read what he says and try not to butcher it because even the slightest thing I say wrong can mess up the entire thing because of the complications. So David, you had a new uh, issue. Issue. I almost said episode again. I don't know why I'm on this episode thing. <laughs> issue of the newsletter come out where you went through just a couple of key nuances. One of them was trading Jalen Smith and what that means for the teams receiving him and then so on. And then another one was trading Landry Shaman. Can you go over those two kind of like subtleties to this whole trade deadline? Because I think they're very, very important for Suns fans to kind of realize here. I'll try and do it as uh, quick and, and concise as possible. Here, Get that but... out of your heads. I don't know why I, why I got <laughs> in that mood. I'm the person who blabbers on this podcast more than anyone. So take as much time as you need. All good, all good. So uh, Jalen, let's start with Jalen. I think most people have heard of this or seen this, but in case they haven't, uh, and I mentioned it before, the Suns declined his third-year team option for next year, which was $4.67 million. That means that if the Suns hold Jalen Smith through the trade deadline to the end of the season, the most they can pay him next year in a new contract in the first year is that exact same $4.67 million. Now he will be an unrestricted free agent because they decline that option. And therefore 29 other teams, theoretically, even though I wouldn't personally can offer him a dollar more than that and get him to come to their team instead. And the Suns have no matching rights or can't do anything about it. Now, the real interesting thing about the CBA, which I I mean, understand the black and white of it. I don't really understand why it exists as a rule. If the Suns trade him 
to a new team before this deadline, that new team who acquires him are held to the same restriction. I don't so, get that at all. That makes no sense. It, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but it is a rule and the Suns, it is going to affect the Suns uh, and what they can get back for Jalen uh, at the trade deadline. So whilst I don't believe he's going to get paid more than $4.67 million. I can certainly understand that a team that uh, is interested in him are going to lowball you because they're going to say, look, we're taking a risk here. Even if we give you a second round pick for him, if he plays really well in the last 30 games and someone offers him $5 million of their mid-level exception next year, we're outbid and we can't do anything about it. And we just wasted a second round pick holding him for 30 games, uh, showing the world how much better he was. So that's a bit of a problem. It's the main reason why I, when I look at Jalen Smith trades, he's really just used as salary uh, in any trades. Uh, and, and, a not team would, you, and a team would probably just like wave him, right? Basically like that from there. Yeah, I mean, they might have a look at him, but they're not going to yeah. give up an asset for him because of what I said. They could be outbid. Uh, they're probably not going to give him maximum minutes because, again, if they kind of like him, they're probably going to want to hide him a little bit. Uh, so you <laughs> might only see him play 10, 15 minutes I was going to say, David, if I traded for him, I just shut him down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why not? Exactly. You've seen enough. You know, those yeah. minutes are you the five No one else can see the practice. Yep, exactly. So that's a possibility. Now, if we move on to Landry. Yeah, can uh, I say can I say one more thing, David? Yeah, go for I it. I specifically said on this podcast a couple months ago about trading Jalen. Like the good thing about the team having him is that they'll have control. So I said that completely wrong. I wasn't aware of this rule at all because we have so many few examples of this uh, getting declined. I thought like typically we're taught in CBA that you have a guy's bird rights and that means you're in control more whenever you have the player you're, but it's actually kind of the opposite here where your leverage is totally gone. And David, there might be some fans listening saying, well, why didn't you keep the third option then just so that team that you would trade him to would have him and and be under more control and yada, 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 restricted free agency, all that kind of stuff. Then you would have had to need to trade him, David. And what if you can't trade him now? What if you're in attaching an asset just to get this guy's money off the books? Like it was still correct to decline his option with that hindsight, I think for sure. I'm glad you mentioned that because I think that is the the bit of nuance that is, is missed in the conversation. The Suns, I believe did try it or called around to see what his value was uh, last off season, didn't get any bites. And then you are forced to make this option decision before the season starts. So uh, it's not like they could wait and see how he played this year before making that decision. So they looked at it and went, given our cap situation going forward, is he going to be worth $5 million playing as, you know, a backup five, for instance, when we've, you know, or they've already shown this year, you can get JaVale McGee for $5 million. You can pick up Biombo mid-season on the vet minimum. He's only earning like 850 grand now because he came halfway through the season. So uh, he didn't work out at the four like that. I think they hoped and, and they kind of just decided to cut bait. Last thing I will say on that is with, with the expiring stuff, you know, that is valuable. Uh, there's teams like Boston who are trying to duck the tax yeah. Uh, before the deadline. So they might take on Jalen Smith uh, for a guy like Dennis Schroeder's name gets thrown around a little bit. Uh, do I want Dennis Schroeder? Not particularly. I don't think he really solves anything for the Suns. Um, but, you know, if you take him on in uh, to be your third point guard instead of Alfred Payton, for instance, given we all said uh, 20 minutes ago that we don't want Payton running those duties uh, if injuries hit, um, then you know Boston get their bid out of it by saving a little bit of money and, and ducking the tax, and he's not a guaranteed contract for next season. So 
yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Or Can I say one more thing on that? One more one thing yeah. on the on the Jalen Smith thing on the option declining. I mean, I think the other thing that's obvious here is that he got a lot better. I don't think the Suns expected this. I, the Suns saw him in summer league that's and fair. he was awful in summer league. I think yeah. they were probably. I think he really took a leap out of nowhere, and he's just an NBA player now. And I think that they didn't see that coming. So that's what the only thing I want to add. And and yeah, not to to, sure. to our own horn here, but he was awful when they tried to play him at the four, and yeah. good when they yeah. played him at the five. Like it's not that obvious. It's pretty obvious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Landry. I mean, they, they 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 tried. They they tried something. Yes, they yeah. saw a very. This is going to sound like I'm trying to pretend to be like a pyramid scheme artist, but it's not. But they saw <laughs> they saw a very unique opportunity at a point in the draft where, in my opinion, I think it was less about um, Jalen being like a no doubt surefire, like top 10 prospect at that point when they're up at 10, more so that they were not as intrigued with other guys in that spot. That might be completely wrong, but I think that they saw something at that spot with Jalen based on who else was available and said, you know what, like we could actually turn this guy into the next Pascal Siakam. We heard Jeremy Grant come from Monty a bit ago. I've heard more athletic Dario Saric. All of that did not show up and did not see that in college at all. So it was going to be a long-term process. And then they bailed on it uh, within a year as they probably should have anyway. And he's probably going to be a productive five somewhere pretty soon. Cause that guy grabs rebounds and he gets points when he's on the floor, no matter what the him. score is. Where I love it's him. At. Yeah. yeah. He's awesome. Yeah. Uh, Landry, David, uh, poison pill. The pill of poison made infamously <laughs> known by Daryl Morey with Jeremy Lin. Is that like the, the most like yes, prominent that, example? That's yeah. pretty famous. Yeah. 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 Ex- the poison, poison pill provision. Uh, a difficult one to explain. I will plug myself, which I don't often do, but uh, much easier to follow along the numbers and the math. If you go and read my latest issue, Kellen, Uh, But to explain what it actually is, uh, for guys that have been extended in the offseason, like Landry Shamit, and it actually applies to Mikael Bridges as well, but I didn't touch on him because I think we can all agree that Mikael Bridges isn't getting traded before this deadline, and therefore it was going to be a waste of everyone's time to to touch on that. However, I will note, it's when you look at the math, it's guys like Mikael and Up that get those max extension where the, the poison pill is actually a lot more difficult uh, to trade a guy, which is why I think uh, amongst public belief, a lot of the time they actually believe that guys can't be traded at all, but it's not in fact true. Uh, And Landry Shamit is a great example to illustrate that. So Landry on his own for the Suns uh, counting in trades, his salary is this year's salary, $3.7 million. But for the team who is accepting him, Uh, when they have to uh, go through the salary matching rules for their books, they actually have to take his uh, entire extension and average it out over the amount of years. uh, And you actually get to $9.2 million. So as you can see, a pretty significant gap, about five and a half million dollars, which when, you know, I guess in basic terms, teams have to send out and take back roughly around the amount the same amount of money with a few little quirks in there that we won't get into that obviously makes it really hard to trade a guy like Landry on his own but if you put him as part of a larger package which I did in my newsletter with Dario Saric uh, and Alfred Payton and some draft picks to get a guy like Eric Gordon (gasps) it becomes a lot easier to get the math to work for you. So I won't go into the numbers, but basically 
you know, with Gordon making $18.2 million, there's a way with the poison pill even that uh, the $3 million towards the Suns and the $9 million towards Houston, you can actually still make the trade work. So in short, poison pill guys, hard to trade on their own, easier to trade in a bigger trade like that. And the big guys like Mikel Bridges and up, uh, almost impossible to trade. Hopefully I did an okay job of that. You did an excellent job. I have one question that I was going to DM you about, and I figured I would do it on the podcast anyway. So that gap is a little under $6 million in terms of the money that goes up, right, David? So for yes. the Suns, if they were to do that type of Gordon deal, it would effectively be an extra $5.5 million, whatever it is, they're adding to their books already, right? And they're how far from the luxury tax? Uh, actually not. It's actually a lot better than that. Um, I think again, to plug my newsletter, if you look yep. at the uh, salary cap sheet at the bottom of the newsletter compared to the one at the top, uh, with the two trades that I executed, uh, the Suns are uh, at 131 million and still 5 million below the luxury tax when they end the trade period, whereas they started at 129. Uh, so they base they effectively at about two million dollars uh, with the two trades that I do in the newsletter. So uh, because uh, Dario plus uh, Landry plus Alfred gets you, I believe, to thirteen million dollars. Um, oh, sorry, Callan. I've yeah, I have totally uh, taken your question and butchered it there. Uh, no, it's you're because okay. it's because of the other trade. So yes, to answer, yes. You, go back, I'll backtrack. To answer your question, yeah. $5 million roughly the Suns uh, add to their books, but by doing another move, they can kind of uh, counteract it. So to fully right. answer your question, uh, if you take that other trade out of the piece, the Suns are currently about $7 million below the luxury tax. So they're still so they, good in that world, right? They're still okay. good, but say if Close. you wanted to add a you know, a guy with the, one of the roster spots, for instance, Uh-oh. then you're going to start uh, getting real close. Uh-oh, that's not good. You don't want to do that. You don't. Especially when you don't pay your uh, center a five-year max <laughs> when you probably should have for reasons that probably don't seem good right now. Um, okay. With all of that in mind, it was very important to explain that. I very much appreciate you having on. I'm so thankful we had you on because this would have been something where I read David's piece two days after he podcast and feel like an idiot for saying everything completely wrong. So it, <laughs> it, it, it is not wrong. What I'm going to do for you guys now is kind of a preview of what I'm going to be writing on the site next week, which is a trade deadline preview. And I'll include a fourth group here, sort of, I guess, but but not really. And what the three groups I've broken down the players into in terms of trade targets is wings who scale down. And what I mean by that is the Mikel Bridges types, like wings who can cover 3-2-1 or 3-2 or, or maybe some fours, but they don't scale up, which is going 3-4-5. That's where you're talking about, quote-unquote, small ball fives. So two different groups of wings I got, and then just ball handlers. So that's where we get Eric Gordon. That's where we get a couple of different names. And that's where you can either pitch me someone to replace Alfred Payton. You can pitch me someone to replace Landry Shamit, campaign or whatever. Max, let me start with you. What of those three position groups do you think is the most valuable? Because what we have not talked about yet on this podcast, Mike and Sam talked a lot about small ball fives last episode and like matching up with Milwaukee potentially again, or Golden State if they go small and the Suns want to go small too. We haven't talked about Abdul Nader in that fourth wing spot, how they basically haven't had a fourth wing for nearly two months now, two and a half months, I want to say. 
what, what do you think is the most important out of those three positions to, to address here at the deadline? With that being said earlier that you believe they should make a move. We just really need a low post center, you know, like a true five. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have five on this team. Um, I think ball handler. I, so I think in terms of like what the, what the hole is, it's probably more of the three um, ish, like kind of the Tory Craig role, I guess is probably the, what I'd say is like, if there is a hole again, I think his roster is pretty good in terms of how complete it is, but if there is a hole, that's probably it. But I think in terms of like, uh, again, we're trying to win the championship this year. And I think in terms of upgrading our chances to win the championship, the thing that we could do best would be to get somebody who can score off the bench, score at a high level, can shoot, can sort of be the guy who, if other guys are cold, like he's the guy who takes over the game for a bit. I think, I think that's what we need to raise our championship ceiling. So that's, that's what I would say. It's funny that we have recent examples of things happening. And I still feel like in, in the biggest stage possible, and I still feel like the point isn't getting through. Yeah. Because I I think that there is a sentiment that is the Suns do not need another guy who is quote unquote high usage or another guy who is going to take possessions off the ball. We just saw an NBA finals where Chris Paul was just like worn down. It was, it was, he had gone through way too much. Mm -hmm. And by the back half of the series, like he had these little pockets max where he was still dominating the game. I have no idea how, but in, in terms of an entire game, he didn't have it campaign was on the scouting report he was done like he he needs a he needs a year to adjust to that he's going through that adjustment right now so then Devin Booker had to score 40 points back to back because no one else was there with the ball handling I think Max and David would you guys would both agree with a really good point that Sam made last episode is that if Mikael Bridges had that type of improvement offensively that we some of us thought could happen this might not be as big of an issue because the whole thing about having a third option is that you can make him your primary option in little parts of the game where you need to. That's not where Mikel is at, and I do not believe as a team that is where they are at with DeAndre yet because DeAndre is so involved with Chris that it's basically when Chris is the option, so is DeAndre. So with all of that being said, I think that is where I look the most at ball handlers, but I honestly agree with what David did in his newsletter, and I think that they need to get a wing, and I think that they need to get a ball handler too to really just be absolutely sure about this because that's what I just need certainty max. And right now I don't think that there is enough absolute certainty that they have their eight or nine guys going into the postseason is not going to matter as much, but I do think that you, we cannot see another Western conference finals or a finals where Devin Booker does absolutely everything for two games. And in game six, he just has nothing. He just I, is, I, is I, toast. I totally like, agree. I remember the, the, we were really getting killed at the beginning of game six, and then campaign kind of saved us. He kind of just had a moment. Frank Kaminsky. That, and Frank Kaminsky as well. You need, you need other people to be able to you know, have moments. And I agree with you that, you know, coming into the season, uh, it was Raquel we were hoping. Um, I think they, got, they went out and got Landry with some hope that he could do some of that stuff. And, you know, they obviously you, you hope for his offense. But I feel like the funny thing is, like, now at this point, the guy who's probably the closest to that is Cam Johnson. Although, but he's still not, you know, you can't just trust him to make plays with the balls in his hand, the ball in his hands, you know, like he can have really good offensive games. And I think that there's a chance he can get to the point where he's more consistent offensively. I just love everything we've seen from him, but we're still missing that spark. I think we're on the same wavelength there. I, I didn't want to excite people too much in the preseason and get too ahead of myself with the top nine thing, but I envisioned a world where land the Landry point guard kind of thing kind of happened and Mikel mm-hmm. kind of happened. And then all of a sudden they have five dribble guys and it's just yeah. over. They're the best team in the league. They win 67 games and they, just storm through the playoffs. Yep. I, I saw that as like a very, very low chance of happening and it sure didn't, but I saw that as a possibility, but because neither of those things have happened and campaign is in this weird spot right now, I think you do really need another guy. 
off the bounce. Uh, David, do you do you agree there? And and, and Max as well. I, I think this is where we can kind of start to get into names. Eric Gordon has been brought up, but before we get to names, I will mention one thing, which me and Max were DMing about before we went on. There really aren't a lot of guys on the market that make sense right now. When it's teams in the position to give up guys or guys that make sense salary-wise, skill-wise, whatever it is, the trade market as a whole isn't really that interesting right now. There aren't really any. We're not sitting here talking about Jay Crowder and DeAndre Ayton for X or Jay Crowder plus Cam Johnson for X because Jeremy Grant, like to- Tobias Harris, like we're, we're not going to entertain that. It's just not going to happen on here. So I, I think the market's in really a rough spot. But, David, is there anyone who sticks out to you? You, you wrote about Gordon in your newsletter just a bit, using him as an example. But uh, on the ball handler as a whole, that kind of deal? Yeah, I mean, I try not to get too personal in the newsletter and keep it to kind of, you know, CBA facts and stuff, but I think I showed my hand a little bit. I'm very much in on the idea of Eric Gordon. Obviously, I've I've laid out in that newsletter my plan with with him and Kenrich Williams, and I'm, I'm happy for you guys to throw some extra names around for us to, to comment on here because I, I've, you know, zeroed in on those two guys recently and spent all my time on them. But just going back to what you said around what the... Um, you know, what's been shown and, you know, forgetting what's been shown. I think Milwaukee and then I think the Warriors, particularly in the Christmas Day game, uh, showed their hand a little bit uh, in the way that you defend the Phoenix Suns. And I honestly think there's only two, maybe three teams that can actually execute that well enough to win a seven-game series. The Bucs did it last year in the finals. I'm definitely worried that with Draymond Green, Uh, playing on Chris Paul, the Warriors might be able to execute it as well. And I think the way that you counteract that, which they weren't able to do, particularly because Booker and Paul were a little bit hobbled by the time they got to the finals and worn down a little bit, as you guys mentioned, is to have a third guy that you can swing the ball to that can attack. Uh, And I didn't put it in the article because it would have got even longer, but uh, not only is Eric Gordon having a terrific season shooting the ball from three and will fit like a glove in the Phoenix offense that way. He's also having a terrific year, almost career best year in terms of putting pressure on the rim and finishing around the basket. And that's why I don't go, I guess, point guard for point guard, even though you could even argue that campaign himself in that role isn't kind of your typical point guard. Uh, I go more for who's a third guard because I really, when we look at the Warriors and the Bucks, I just think you're going to play whoever your three best guards are and a whole bunch of wings and DeAndre Ayton, basically. So uh, particularly against the Warriors, maybe you go a little bit bigger uh, with Biombo and, and McGee against the Bucks. But yeah, we, we, I think Max said it. If you, there's a few holes that you could plug, but if you could only pick one, uh, I would go with ball handler. And at the moment uh, I would go with Eric Gordon, if you could get him. Speaking of kind of unforgotten moments, um, do you both remember those stretches of the Lakers series where campaign just exploded out of nowhere for like eight or nine minutes? Like when you look at his stats in the series, they weren't crazy, but do you remember those segments of the game? Yes, absolutely. They need another guy who can do that. They need one more. And with the way that their roster is constructed and with the way we look at this now as them, in my opinion, being the title favorites right now, I think they need another guy who can have that type of momentum off the bench. I thought Landry Shaman was just about perfect for that in terms of what we're talking about with usage and not needing a guy on the ball that much. But because of campaign's defense and because of his shooting, I don't think it's a huge problem to bring in someone like Eric Gordon or another name that's going to be on the ball a little bit more and play a little bit more. And again, to your uh, point, David, your excellent point on like trying things. Have you guys noticed how many three-guard lineups we've seen this year? It's been by necessity, but we've seen more than we've ever seen Monty use before. 
And that to me was to, to try and get Landry more time, I think, but it's also something where if they bring in another name, not saying they did it because of that, but they were doing it for Landry. But now if you bring in another name, they've been running three guard looks quite a bit. And it was, it was basically the last thing that Monty tried in the finals, but it was too late. The, yeah. the top two guys were worn out. Even campaign himself, I think, was a little bit worn out after having to spot start and things and not play his usual roles. So, yeah, I think as far as uh, reading the tea leaves a little bit as well, I, I do genuinely believe that the coaching staff and the front office know that, um, you know, the, the three-guard look and, and having more options at that third guard uh, is what they need. I mean, you know, the uh, getting Landry Shaman in the offseason gives that away uh, in itself, I think. He just hasn't quite worked out. It, he just hasn't. Uh, Max, I want to get to your guy. You, you teased me in the DMs in terms of, like, you you really, really look for someone. And I believe me, guys, go through expiring contracts, go through bad teams, go through teams that have too many guys at this position and see – who teams would be willing to give up right now? Because I think the plan is all obviously a mess for this as well, because so many teams are competitive. Many more teams are competitive now. So uh, there are three names that I have, and I'm going to eliminate two right away, Max. From that ball handler spot, Tomas Sadoransky, Monty gives Jeff uh, Willie Green a five-second phone call. Willie Green is like, yeah, I can't play the guy right now. He's terrible. And then the Suns don't have him. So g- goodbye, Tomas Sadoransky, who I've mentioned on this podcast before, I think is an underrated player. He's barely playing in New Orleans, Max. I don't know what's going on, but it can't be good. And we all know Willie Green's a smart basketball mind. So if he had something there, he probably tried him a couple of times. That didn't work. Jeff Green in the small ball five role. I was looking at this in the contract situation there. They have Jermichael, all that kind of stuff. But he's playing 25 minutes a game for them. He started over two-thirds of their games in Denver right now. And I think Denver like is in a win-now mode anyway. So they wouldn't just punt on giving away Jeff Green at $4.5 million with a player option next year for something like that. The one name, Max, that I have, I will hold because I want to get to yours. Uh, who are you looking at specifically that stands out that wasn't uh, Eric Gordon, Ken Rich, or, or anyone like that who we've heard talked about so much last couple of weeks? Real quick, I do want to clarify that, I mean, I think Eric Gordon is just by far the best candidate. I don't understand the argument against acquiring Eric Gordon. I feel like it would only be the fact that he is owed money next year. So like maybe Sarver's selling James Jones that if he does that, he can't resign Cam Johnson or something. Other than that, I don't understand why you wouldn't do it. I just want to get that out of the way. Yeah. Um, but my guy. And, so and, can, and yeah. can we, uh, I should add really quickly, isn't Shaman a good guy for Houston to get just another tradable kind of contract in a way, right? And yeah, why not? It doesn't hurt them at all. I mean, they're also going to struggle to reach the salary floor over the next few years. It, probably. It'll give them capable NBA players on a team that desperately needs capable NBA players. Yeah. And then guys that they can move a la what Oklahoma city has done with their form in the last couple of years. I think it makes a lot of sense. The type of trade that David threw out for Eric Gordon. I think it makes sense for both sides a lot. Yeah, I don't see why they wouldn't. Both teams would be interested. The only reason we wouldn't get them with that is if we got outbid, but they're going to trade Eric Gordon here. Um, So, yeah, like you said, I went through, I literally went to Wikipedia NBA rosters where you can see them all on one page. (laughs) It went through every player in the league. And I I think this would be a great trade. The the flaw on this one is that I think that Washington's probably still trying to win, I would guess. But I don't know. They just just blew a 35-point lead to the Clippers and, like, just are free fall. So maybe not. Maybe the next two weeks they'll change their mind. But Contavious Caldwell Pope jumped out at me. Ooh. Um, he's not he's not a ball handler, but I think he'd be a great defender on our system. He can shoot, obviously. He's been in big games. His contract situation's perfect. I, I that would be awesome if for some reason Washington gives up. I, I love that shout. Uh David, your your thoughts on KCP, who we've seen a lot more and have a better read on because we broke him down so much in that Lakers series. 
I mean, Max said he was going to bring someone that no one's talking about, and uh, he managed to nail the brief because I don't think I've seen anybody mention KCP, but I, I like the shout. Um, I think in a way he kind of plugs two of those holes that we're talking about. Like he can play as a wing, uh, maybe as Max said, not so much of a ball handler, but if you play a you know three-guard lineup, you can essentially at least know that he's going to be able to uh, defend one of the two biggest players while Devin Booker probably defends the other one and Chris Paul hides on the, I guess, uh, least uh, offense, you know, attacking option of the, of the three. Cause I think it, you know, it's worth noting that's the weakness with why you can't often go with say campaign as the third guard is because uh, Chris Paul, as good as he is with his steals numbers and stuff, like he, he is getting picked on a little bit defensively. Devin Booker's obviously lifted, um, but yeah, when you play three guards, you've you've then got to guard three guys with those people. So KCP would be great from that perspective and uh, would knock down, you know, those open shots when the ball swings to him. So yeah, I, I like the shout. Is he, is it a one-year deal, Max? I don't even know what his contract he, situation is. He has is. a non-guaranteed entirely year next year. It's like 13 oh, perfect. million. And then yeah, he has a absolutely more of perfect. Too. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. Uh, I think that, Max, that's more in line with the thinking of the one through nine I was talking about, right, where your eighth best guy locked in, like KCP is going to be it, right? Yeah, like more absolutely. of just less of like it. we're looking for it, the yeah. playmaker, ball handler, whatever. We're just looking for a guy who really knows how to rock solid, defend, shoot the ball, make winning plays. That's what he can do for sure. I will say, looking at their roster, they're starting Beal, Dinwiddie, and KCP together in three-guard looks. They've got Kuzma at the four, and then it's been Gafford at the five. I guess the argument here for him moving and, and getting a first round pick for him would be to give Denny Abdia and Rui Hachimura, who has just recently returned, giving them more time. They ain't moving Dav- Davis Bertans, I think, Max. So they got to they got to find him a little bit of time as well. They've got Aaron Holiday, Corey Kispert. Remember him? He's there too. Oh, yeah. So like there, there are some <laughs> there are some three minutes there. I think that they could they could make a case for in terms of moving him. So I, I like it in terms of like a somewhat, I don't even want to say realistic, but there is an argument there as to why Washington would get rid of him. And that's where we move to my guy, because I think when you talk about the trade deadline and just looking at this, I always need to hear about the other team's perspective first and why they would want to move him necessarily. I don't know where the Dallas Mavericks are at right now, Max. What I do know is that from where they're at in the last three weeks, four weeks, they're on this really hot streak. And now they've kind of certified themselves as a top six team in the West. And how much do they care about that position and trying to I guess win a championship, Max, like they're not going to win a championship this year, but dude, uh, in terms of like that kind of message, how much do they care? And I think message is the right way to phrase it because my name is Dorian Finney Smith with Dallas and who I'm going to have something out on the site next week, because here are a list of numbers, Max, 38, 35.7, 33.8, 19.6, 11, 10. Those are the salaries next year that Dallas has on the books for Luca, Chris Porzingis, Tim Hardaway Jr., Dwight Powell, and Reggie Bullock. Dorian Finney-Smith and Jalen Brunson are unrestricted free agents next year, Max. And considering that Jalen Brunson is the only other guy who can dribble on that team besides <laughs> Luca, you probably want to bring him back, which is why I look at Dorian Finney-Smith. He only makes $4 million, so the Jalen Smith trade fits in perfectly right there, a pick or two attached. And I look at a guy who's a basically a lesser version of McHale defensively, where you're just looking for a guy who can shift down, like I said. like He can guard more twos and ones than guards fours and fives, and that's where I look at Finney-Smith who does that really well. I think that he guards book better than 
nearly everyone that matches up with him. He's in the top 5% in terms of the guys that normally guard book. I don't know if he's a guy like Mikel who's just laterally insane and sticks in front of guys, but he's an irritant and gets his hands everywhere. I really like him as a defender. And then as a shooter and a passer, I think that watching him today, I've been surprised the playmaking isn't so bad. It's nearly two assists per game. And a lot of what you see is the 0.5 stuff, which is the Cam Johnson, Mikel Bridges, two dribbles and make a play. He can dump it off to a big, he can kick it over to the weak side corner. Don't put him in a pick and roll or anything, but he can get that done as a shooter. He's fine. It's more of a Tory Craig thing where you're like, okay, not a guy that when it goes in the corner, you think it's absolutely going to go in when he's open, but like 35, 36, 37%. And I think that that would absolutely shore up the wing rotation. And you would just be looking at more two to three wing lineups more consistently in that group. And I think that that's where, Max, if you feel like you're going to back campaign and Landry Shamit, if it doesn't work out by May, that's where you can start to look to two to three guard uh, wing lineups and play Dorian Finney-Smith 20 minutes, play all four wings at least 20 minutes and just go wing heavy because then you're just winning through defense more than anything. And that's where I think they still need to learn to win through offense and get a ball handled. But if they don't, I think that getting another wing like him is in there. And this is where some people have mentioned Robert Covington as well, Max. Yeah, no, I, I think Dorian Finney-Smith is much more fun than Robert Covington and a better, <laughs> a better player at this point. I also think it's, it's funny. I actually think it's kind of a similar one to mine, right? The KCP is sort of a similar role we're trying to fill. I, and I think we both of our probably proposals suffer from the same flaw, which is that it's probably unlikely the team's going to want to do it. So I think both teams are a little bit diluted. I, I think Dallas maybe thinks they have a chance to win the title. Because well, you, you look at the message it you know, sends too, right? Like you trade yeah, him for a first yes. round pick in Jalen Smith. It tells your locker room they don't think you're going to win it this year. I don't think that's the right kind of thing. But I think, you know, if they do make the decision, which is possible, I mean, they have a very – an owner who's very opinionated and might just make his own decision. Um, and I, I think it would be awesome. I think it would be a great fit. There is no other way we were going to close out this podcast but David telling us about Kenrich Williams. David, tease the Kenrich <laughs> Williams uh, words in your newsletter. You found a player that you love who, unlike me and Max, you do not have to debate why the Oklahoma City Thunder would be willing to trade a guy <laughs> who's 27 for a first-round pick or whatever. What do you see in Kenrich Williams that makes so much sense for him with Phoenix? Yeah, I mean, I first saw something in Kenrich Williams when I just looked at the, you know, uh, current trade uh, that the Suns and OKC still need to finalize and thought about the fact that OKC have piled up all of these first round draft picks. Why are they going to want pick number 30 uh, in draft coming up? Uh, and can the Suns kind of give them a call and try and pry something away from them? Uh, then, you know, thought maybe they can take that pick back and, and, you know, add some of this flexibility to give them more first round draft picks to go for, Eric Gordon. And and that's when I really stumbled into Kendrick Williams. I mean, I'd, I'd definitely seen him play before. I knew people that I trust like Zach Lowe really loved him and raved about him last year at the trade deadline. So I just watched, you know, seven or eight games uh, in a row of OKC. I uh, wouldn't recommend it. Not, uh, you know, P- PTSD of, of that first, first season that you and I started the podcast, Max, we won 19 games. It, it wasn't uh, the most fun to watch. Uh, but Kenrich Williams really stands out on that team. He, you know, plays 25 minutes a night off the bench, often finishes games, is an absolute plus minus God on that team, somehow manages to have a plus uh, net rating on a team that just gets, you know, smashed most nights, uh, particularly if SGA isn't playing well. 
Um, but he fills that wing role that you guys are talking about with KCP um, and a guy like Dorian Finney-Smith. The thing that I'm really intrigued about with Kenrich, and there's not like a huge amount of volume on this compared to say the two guys that you've mentioned. And that's why it's a bit more of a question mark, but he really flashes some passing uh, and, you know, has good shooting numbers, but on a low volume. So he's kind of, you know, a really solid addition at what he currently does for OKC. But I think when you're talking about needing a little bit more playmaking on this team, needing another defender to guard point of attack, he's just super versatile and he could actually plug, you know, quite a number of holes. Uh, Probably my biggest argument for a guy like him is if you cop an injury, like we were talking about earlier in the episode, uh, Kenrich might be the guy that fills a whole bunch of those. So Jay Jay Crowder goes down, he could fill his starting spot. Uh, Cam could also go into the starters and he could fill Cam's spot. Um, But even if like a pain goes down uh, after the trade deadline, I think Kenrich can take on a little bit more ball handling, uh, guarding point of attack, even though he's like a six foot six guy. So that's my real intrigue with him. And he also comes with a, you know, non-guaranteed $2 million deal for next year, which without getting into it, uh, the Suns, you know, are going to start being a, a luxury tax team and those uh, really cheap deals are going to be super, super valuable for them next year. So uh, that's my Kenrich pitch. Oh, you bring, the, the amount we've talked about the luxury tax on this episode, I, I am dreading this off season. I do not want the season to be over and just start talking about luxury tax and looking at uh, the potential of Cam not getting an extension, Johnson, and, and, and things, of, things of that nature. Uh, yet you're in the same line, Max, like, oh, oh boy. No, I, I might follow Cam Johnson if they let him go. I, I, you cannot let Cam <laughs> Johnson leave this team, man. It will devastate me. Oh, man. Uh, so a couple of names we didn't mention that I'd, I'll just throw out there. Justin Holiday's kind of in that same group of scaling down as opposed to scaling up. Scaling up, guys, Nick Patum is someone that uh, Sam and Mike hit on last week, so we don't really need to go into him. Ball handlers, Dennis Schroeder was mentioned, and the other guy that I'll mention is Goran Dragic. Um, he's in a weird situation in Toronto right, right now, I believe, because he's away from the team for personal reasons. And there is rumors of a buyout, which is where I will get to the end of this podcast with predictions because no one loves predicting things and being wrong more than I do. So David and Max, I just want to kind of get a vibe for not what you want, but what you sort of expect. And I will start out by being the bearer of bad news with a slight glint at the end. I don't think the Suns are going to do anything at the deadline, but I do think they are going to get someone on the buyout market and they're going to use that money that James Jones saved for a very specific reason to outbid teams on the buyout market. And I think Goran Dragic is coming back to the Phoenix Suns. Guys, go ahead, Max. Yeah, I think it's a good prediction. Um, I, I'm a little nervous about how he's bad right now, and I'm not sure he's a good player anymore, but I think it's going to be fun. Uh, I like it. My, my prediction would be something like Tory Craig last year, something small. Yeah, David? Yeah, yeah. not to, to end it on a boring note, but I'm, I'm with both of you guys as much as I've you know written at length about it and want James Jones to swing for the fences. I think Max did a great job at the start of the episode outlining why exactly they should do that given – Uh, where their star players are at and the level of play they're playing at right now. I just think, you know, you wrote about it yesterday. James Jones said it on the radio. Uh, They love continuity. I'm expecting a Tory Craig type deal, whether it is by trade or buyout. I guess it could go either way. Uh, And it may even be Tory Craig because he's one of those guys that fits that Jalen Smith uh, take $5 million uh, and give $5 million back plus 
uh, Tory is guaranteed for next season. So you, you're saving the Pacers money there and therefore probably wouldn't have to add too much more to the deal to get him. So um, yeah, Suns fans love a returning former player. So Goran or Tory, I'm sure would be popular <laughs> amongst most of the, the fan base. I need to add my disclaimer because I do realize new people listen on the podcast every time. I do not know anything. I'm not reporting anything. Please do not react to it as such. I am just a basketball person predicting something <laughs> without any information or sources. Goodness gracious me. And guys, I don't, I know some fans will view this as stubbornness, but could you blame Monty or James if they're looking at Cam or Landry and just being like, no, like we're going to, we trust our system. This guy's going to figure it out. Like it, they're hitting the eject button after three months must kind of seem crazy to them in a certain way. Right, Max? Well, particularly because if you trade for somebody like Eric Gordon, like that guy's going to take a lot of possessions. It's going to change your yeah. team. And I can understand looking at your team and think, oh, we're three and a half games ahead of everybody. Maybe we shouldn't really think of that much, you know? <laughs> Yeah, do you see our record right now? But I think everyone is rightfully so just thinking about the Western Conference Finals and the finals, not even the first two rounds, honestly. They're just thinking about those two series, which will likely, in my opinion, right now be the Warriors and the Bucks right now, or even I'm really excited once we get into April and such and and start talking about other possibilities like Miami or Brooklyn with how their roster is looking. But I think Miami is another kind of team where I think about them in the same way that I think about Milwaukee, where I think that you need to make a move based on what they provide, because they provide a lot. I mean, there's nothing to draw from that game where they hit 3,000 threes or whatever, but I, I think that the matchup there is very interesting. Guys, thank you so much for coming and, and spending the time. We went long, which is a shocker, but I think you guys usually go like 90 <laughs> minutes on your podcast, but when I would come on, we would usually go like two hours. So this is the least surprising development that has ever occurred to anyone who listened to those before um anything for uh, you to plug david beyond the newsletter which we've mentioned five times but i want to make it six and seven here because the work <laughs> deserves it yeah let's make it seven as a, an ode to seven seconds or less but uh yeah go check that out kellen mentioned where you can find it i'm sure anyone interested will go and find it online uh and just thanks for having us on you know you mentioned it you were one of our favorite people that we love to bring on the pod uh for its short life and we always uh talked about uh, returning and, and doing it the other way. So uh, a huge thrill to be able to do it in uh, Kevin's absence. And uh, it'll be good to have him back uh, next week. It sounds like Kellen. Absolutely. Yeah. David is at the four point play on Twitter, but folks be wary. We talk in Roman numerals. That's the <laughs> IB point play on Twitter. I'm sure you guys follow him already. Max is at max MCC 11. That is two C's in the MCC 11. That makes me like think of Halo, Master Chief Collection. Have you ever heard that before? No, never was the Kellen. I'm a nerd. Nerd for this. <laughs> I'm a huge <laughs> nerd. I, 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 plug, I can't I, wait to I play Pokemon plug. tomorrow, Max. I'm so excited. Oh, I can't wait. Fun. There's a new Pokemon coming out. I can't wait. I'm so excited. I didn't know that. You know, for some reason, I, that, I missed that. But I don't have anything to plug anymore. But I want to plug you, Kellen. I thought you were awesome as a host today. I, you're really good at this hosting thing. I was As a guest, it was very easy to like bounce off with you. So good job. Thank you, man. I, I really do appreciate that. That is definitely the one thing I worry about with having guests on that. I, I do not want to do, I, I say blabber because I just, I, the <laughs> thing about doing this for so long and you guys will agree, you get used to the sound of your voice, but it doesn't mean you like it. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, I did. Oh, gee whiz. No, yeah. thank you. I will I, not I mean, be listening. You also get to like talking rut sometimes where you say the same things a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's rough. All right. We got to get out of here. I killed the outro last week and now I'm just butchering it. I'm dragging it more and more as we go. Thank you guys so much. Again, I want to thank Simon, Sam and Mike for filling in last week as well. 
Kevin will be back next week. So much to talk about the trade deadline, the best team in the NBA, fun times. Thanks, guys, again. We'll see you next week.